Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. Each week, we explore the beliefs shaping our world, our politics, and our culture. This week, we revisit my conversation with journalist and author Michael O'Loughlin. His book, Hidden Mercy, aids Catholics and the untold stories of compassion in the face of HIV tells a story that had never been told. And I've been thinking a lot about the voices we hear in the Plague podcast, which we're going to hear a little later in this episode, who recall what it's like during the early days of the HIV crisis in New York. Back in the early 80s, there was confusion, suffering, and outrage at the lack of access to medical care and information about how the disease was spreading. I can't help I think about the lessons Michael shares in Hidden Mercy and Plague when I think about a new public health emergency, monkeypox. It's a parallel many are making. So we know what can happen when the government and public health agencies don't respond the right way when an illness happens to outbreak in a particular community. That's Jason Sincioto. He serves as the Vice President of Communications and Policy for GMHC. They were founded back in 1982. You know, the most important message that we want to get across to everybody is to be aware, but don't panic. There are important differences between HIV and monkeypox. There is a vaccine available for one. At the time of this recording... The World Health Organization says the United States has the highest number of cases and the community most impacted, men who have intimate relations with men. And just like the AIDS epidemic, New York is the epicenter, which is also the backdrop for plague and hidden mercy. Michael is Catholic and a gay man. He talks openly about how those identities shape why he wants people to know this history. So you did not grow up during the AIDS. Like, you don't have any memory of this. Exactly. Uh, And I think we don't do a good job of teaching this history. Uh, So part of it was I felt kind of let down that I didn't know any of this history. But part of it also was I needed to seek it out on my own if I wanted to understand it. Um, It was an important part of history that hasn't been widely captured by mainstream press or even uh, Catholic historians. So that it was up to me to figure out what are the important lessons from this time. Really, for me, it was kind of complicating the conventional wisdom that you had LGBT activists on one side fighting for their lives and religious voices, including Catholic leaders on the other side, sort of undermining those voices. The reality proved to be much more complicated and much more interesting, especially interviewing LGBT Catholics who found themselves kind of torn between the two communities. What happened? What was your experience like? What did you do? What did you see? Uh, How did you feel as your friends and partners were becoming sick and dying? Uh, Was the church there for you? Were there individuals who supported you? Those kinds of deep questions allowing space and time for people to reflect on memories that they had forgotten about, that they had kind of buried away because they're so painful, that provided a rich uh, opportunity to think more critically about this time and mine lessons for people of faith today who maybe don't feel at home in their institutions. You encountered lots of different voices. Um, In the podcast, you feature some of them. How did you make the choices about who to feature in the podcast? 
There were so many interviews that I could have included because every person I interviewed had a compelling story and they would then give me the names of three or four other people who also had compelling stories. But ultimately, because of time and space, I had to narrow down whose voices would be featured. Uh, it wasn't easy, but I thought that presenting a range of different experiences, different kinds of people who responded would be helpful to give a glimpse into this time. It's sort of just a snapshot of this time in history. So I wanted to make sure that I included priests who were engaged in HIV and AIDS ministry, uh, Catholic sisters who were working in hospitals, setting up AIDS clinics, uh, lay LGBT Catholics who were fighting for their place in the Catholic Church, also fighting for public health measures that could save their lives and the lives of their friends, uh, people who stayed in the church and fought for change, people who walked away from the church because it wasn't a safe place for them to be. So there's a range of voices that I think give witness to the different kinds of experiences that people had at the time. How, as a reporter, do you handle, you know, and treat engaging someone to tell you a story that involves a lot of trauma? Uh, I tread lightly. Uh, so when I reach out to someone who has lived and worked and grieved through HIV and AIDS, I usually have to have several conversations, explain my own motivations for reporting, because I'm inviting them really to unlock stories that they maybe haven't told in several decades, uh, often because they haven't been asked to tell these stories. So on the one hand, they are grateful that someone is interested in hearing about their friends and loved ones who passed away in the 80s and 90s. On the other hand, it is very difficult. So it's generally a, a series of conversations, establishing trust, uh, listening to the stories that they've told uh, maybe many times over the years, and then asking questions to get them to dig a little bit deeper, to ask questions that prompt them to think about the events in a different way. How did hearing all these stories affect you? It was difficult in the reporting process. There's a lot of unresolved trauma, I think. Both people who uh, were diagnosed with HIV and are still living with it, uh, people who lost friends and partners, uh, even caregivers who were thrown into this incredibly difficult time uh, doing ministry for seven, eight, nine years. Uh, they were impacted by this. But I'll say, as I wrapped up the reporting and finished writing Hidden Mercy, it was a real blessing for me to have these uh, inspiring people be willing to share so much with me to trust me to tell their stories and then be able to share them with others who didn't know this history who now say they feel less alone as well. So it was um, heavy work. Uh, these are not light stories, even though there are moments of levity in, in Plague and in the book, people remembering times when they were able to escape some of the darkness for a little while. But these are heavy stories. And it was difficult at times to sit with that trauma. But being able to then share them and see the light that they're bringing people today has been worth it. Tell me about the reaction. So many people have reached out and thanked me for having the willingness to uh, spend time with these stories because society in many ways has moved on. Um, this isn't history. HIV and AIDS is still an ongoing crisis, but we haven't spent time in many ways reflecting back on the pain and trauma from that time. Do you see these stories as offering a way for young people who might be struggling to recognize that their struggle might not be so unique? Oh, very much so. Uh, for me, when I was dealing with these questions myself, uh, what does it mean to be a gay person in the Catholic Church? I felt like I was the only person ever to go through this. And of course, that's ridiculous now. Uh, I realize that. But at the time, uh, it felt very true because of that sense of isolation. And for me, what I've realized is 
that isolation came from not knowing this history, uh, not knowing the history of LGBT Catholics and their fight to make the church more welcoming, their fight for their lives during HIV and AIDS. So I think we need to do a better job as a society of teaching LGBT history, but especially as people of faith, because these stories often are not passed down in faith communities. So I've seen firsthand young people come up to me and say that had they known some of this history, they would have felt less alone. Um, And that isolation can be an incredibly damaging place to be. So I'm hoping that by sharing these stories and keeping this conversation going about this time in history, younger people won't have to feel that kind of isolation that I felt when I was dealing with these questions. Did you have to explain or make the case of how you would approach this subject, you know, quote unquote, objectively as a journalist? How did you navigate that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And in Hidden Mercy, I do write a little bit about how when I began reporting full time, uh, the country was in the middle of a debate over same sex marriage. And I was fairly closeted at the time. And I was covering these issues that were uh, important to the kind of the national dialogue, the national religious dialogue in this country, uh, but also important to me personally, because I was struggling with these questions of what does it mean to be a gay person of faith today? Uh, so I did try to keep it very, uh, keep my identity very separate from my reporting. And I still do in many ways, but I was very upfront when I was reporting this story about HIV and AIDS in the Catholic church, that it was motivated by a personal desire to understand this dual identity that I have uh, in a more uh, satisfying way, that being able to connect with people to hear their experiences that I might learn something from, uh, that was the motivation for why I was uh, undertaking this project. I do bring something of my uh, own background and identity to my work, as everyone does, whether it's acknowledged or not. Michael O'Laughlin is a national correspondent with the magazine America, a Jesuit review. Coming up, we're going to take a listen to the first episode of Plague, Untold Stories of AIDS and the Catholic Church. This is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Stay with us. friends, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. <laughs> 